Mac Power Users, episode 181, Workflows with TJ Luoma. Hey everybody, it's David Sparks along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you, Katie Floyd? I'm well, David. How are you? Good. Uh, we are a little overdue on a workflow show, and there's this one guy that has been on our list for over a year, and I said, let's get TJ on here. So, so TJ Luomo, welcome to the Mac Power Users. Well, thank you. Excellent job on the pronunciation. Yes. Did I? I I'm trying to. I, I was telling you before, my wife is Filipino, so I, I try to speak Tagalog with my in-laws, and I, um, they, I, I bring them nothing but hilarity when I try to speak Tagalog. <laughs> I'm working on it, even for, you know, a boring white guy. But anyway, <laughs> TJ, uh, you're a writer with the unofficial weblog, the Apple, the unofficial Apple weblog, weblog or as we, we affectionately call it, Tua, because it's T-U-A-W.com. And I, I like the stuff you write there. Then you've got your own blog over at Rhymes with Diploma, which was really helpful to me, you know, getting ready for the show. I'm um, here to help. Yeah. And you're also a minister, right? Yes, I'm an ordained Presbyterian minister. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a man of many hats <laughs> and collars. Yes, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we, yesterday, uh, just about this time, I just finished our Ash Wednesday service, and uh, we had a Lenten service today at noon that I preached at. So I've, I've preached twice this week already. Three times, and, if you count Sunday. And then when you got done, you sat down and wrote some Apple script. Why not? <laughs> uh, well, anyway, TJ, you, you've done some great stuff, and you've brought some really cool automation stuff to the community with some of the stuff you've written over at Tuwa. Um, but I thought we'd start just kind of talking about the type of work you do and, you know, the gear you're using to get it done. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I started out, uh, I did not plan to become a, uh, an ordained minister. I actually grew up Catholic and uh, went to 12 years Catholic parochial school and assumed that I'd be Catholic my entire life. Um, my first year of college, I had gone to college to be a computer science major uh, and uh, thought that that was going to be what I did. Uh, I learned two important things my freshman year of college. Uh, well, probably learned more than that, but these two, <laughs> these two stick out. The first thing I learned is that the Protestant ministers can get married. Oh, that's now, important. Yeah, they don't tell you this when you grow up Catholic. <laughs> and believe it or not, I honestly, I can still remember I was 18, 19 years old, and our campus minister brought us down to the local Presbyterian church, and uh, the pastor in the sermon mentioned something about his kids, and I, I literally did like a quadruple take, and I went, what, what, what? <laughs> Uh, so I learned that because uh, I, you know, I knew about the priesthood, but I knew I did not want to be a priest. I knew I wanted to have a family. Um, but the other thing I learned, which was almost as important, maybe more important, I found out that I hate programming. <laughs> uh, I found out that I'm a guy who likes to use computers, not a guy who likes to program them. And I expect you know, usually tell people this is the difference between a guy who spends his weekends rebuilding his uh, 67 Impala and a guy who pays somebody a couple hundred bucks to install a new stereo in his 2003 Impala. Yeah. Uh, which is what I did because my car didn't have Bluetooth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, it is funny because we're all geeks here and a lot of the people who listen to the show are. And 
I'd say a very small percentage of them are people who actually program computers. It's 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 oh, a, yeah. it's a real discipline, and it's not something you just pick up and start doing. I, I mean, I fiddle with it. I used to program when I was a kid a lot, and back then the tools were not nearly as easy to use as they are now. I mean, when I actually did what they called assembly code back then, which was a lot of numbers and X's. And I, I really had no idea what I was doing, but I was you know 12 years old and I had nothing but time. So I just started doing it. <laughs> I went to basic. You know, I did all that stuff. But you know, as I get older, I got busy with, with my career. And even to this day, occasionally I will buy a Big Nerd Ranch book and go through it and think that I can pull it off. I mean, I know how to launch Xcode and build a project, but it's a discipline and it's something that you have to do every day and really stick with. And, uh, so, so there's a lot of us out there that don't have that discipline in our life to, or I guess that desire to make that the, the big thing we do is computer programming, but we still like to make these things dance for us. And, and really that's kind of the genesis of the show. Why is it called Mac power users? It's because we're not here to teach you a lot of program computers. We're here to turn people into power users. So you fit right in here. Welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, that was one of the big realizations as I was sort of thinking about this uh, was coming to grips with the idea of um, myself as a, a power user um, because I, I really sort of felt like, I guess because I started out in a sort of a failed computer scientist, I've always felt like sort of a glorified lowercase uh, hacker in the term of, you know, somebody who keeps whacking at something until he figures out how to make it work. Um, and, and that's where a lot of this stuff has come from is, look, I need to do something. And I've heard other people say this. I think Brett, uh, Terpstra, uh, said that, you know, he's, he's really lazy and that's why he likes to automate stuff. Uh, I, I can agree with that, but I also find that, that if I realize that there's something, if I think about this problem once really, really hard, and figure it out, and then I don't have to ever think about it hard again. Uh, that to me seems like a big reward payoff. Yeah, it's like I get like an endorphin from that. I mean, just today at work, I was dealing with a something where I needed a lot of very detailed text, but with just a couple things that changed in each one of them. So of course, I immediately thought of Text Expander, and I spent. Uh, a short amount of time putting together a really kind of complex snippet, but man, it just like, I just like cruised through everything. It made me feel like I was some kind of rock star, even though nobody else in the world knew what I was doing. <laughs> and, um, yep. <laughs> and it just, it really feels good afterwards. I'm, I'm sure you feel that way too sometimes, Katie, right? I mean, you, you've been doing some really cool automation stuff lately. It, it feels a little bit like cheating. Yes. That's okay. I don't mind cheating. Yeah, sometimes. but in like a really good way. I mean, it's yeah. like you you figured out something that other people hadn't figured out. Right. Yeah. It, it just makes me happy. And every time you you hear the little bling or the dong or what whatever the little noise you have that that lets you know that hey, I just did something for you and you didn't have to worry about it. I just get a little smile. Yeah. yeah. The, the the trick is not to. Um, uh, the trick is to take advantage of that save time a little bit. I mean, I think sometimes with me, I I get something automated. And I'm like, what can I do next to automate? And I, I'm just as crazy busy as I always was. Yeah, it's because easy all to I'm doing down. is yeah, pushing more capacity in instead of taking advantage of the automation a little bit to take a catch a breath. You know? Yeah. So, well, so TJ, what kind of computer do you use? <laughs> and if you say Adele, I'm going to hang up. I'm telling you right now. Uh, no, as a matter of fact, um, 
when I went to college, would you believe our college was entire ne- entirely next stations? Wow. Wow. And that, so that was in the 80s, you said? Mid-80s? <laughs> no, this is actually the very early 90s. Yeah. Uh, 91 it, to, to 95. And be a very short period of time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I really, I mean, as I was graduating, they, were, they had the Intel processors. Um, but yeah, the, my first real experience, well... I used an Apple IIe like once in high school, uh, but you know we didn't. I didn't have a. Uh, we had a Coleco Atom. I don't know. I think that I remember that. that. That's about what, the. What, that's the appropriate response to that. Actually, I think I remember that computer. Was it similar to the Timex Sinclair? Uh, I, I don't know. All I remember is that it had instead of having floppy drives, it had cassette tapes. Yeah, okay. I, and it I just took forever too. for everything yeah. to, to do. Yeah, in but fact, that, be, before we started the show, you were telling me that you're on a computer today with a spinning disc and it's yes. making you crazy. Oh. And I almost yes. pulled out the line that said, well, I used to use cassette tapes on you. <laughs> you know, they have, uh, right they have now, stores where you can buy things that will fix that for you. Oh, yes. But, you know, <laughs> I, I've got this push-pull in my life, and one of them is a desire to continually upgrade my computer equipment, and the other is the desire to stay married. Yeah. And, uh. and I find this push-pull <laughs> continually. <laughs> so, uh, right now, I am on a Mac Mini uh, that uh, is hooked to a wonderful uh, 29-inch monitor which is actually basically two monitors hooked together. I can't remember that. <laughs> I'm on a Dell monitor. Uh, I can't remember what it. Dan Morin. Do you follow Dan Morin on Twitter? Yeah. Is that one of those super wides? Those yes. Super, yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've looked at those. I've never seen one. So the idea is, you know, everybody used to have 17-inch monitors, and it became very popular to put two next to each other. And then in the last couple of years, manufacturers have been starting to make these monitors that are essentially two 17-inch monitors glued together without the bar down the middle. And uh, yeah, because that bar ruined everything. Yeah, so you can like you can drag across. I think it's a really good idea. Yeah. So well, how, how do you like Dan, that? Dan posted this link. Uh, I think it was around uh, Black Friday week or month or whatever it is now, and. Uh, I had an old Dell monitor that I'd had for many, many years, and uh, it, it, one of the things I liked about that one is I could rotate it 90 degrees, so I could get that you know really uh, uh, portrait land portrait landscape rotation. Yeah, does anybody uh, ever doing, do that though? I mean, I, I know did. I've, I I've all, seen people do it all the time when they're okay. when they're writing documents Actually, or yeah. Yeah, the the church secretary saw that here, and she absolutely loved it. We ended up getting uh, one for her computer because uh, her big thing that she does every week is the bulletin, which is a eight and a half, you know, by eleven sheet of paper, and she can see the whole thing on her screen all at once. She loved it. I think it was I think it was her favorite thing I've ever done. <laughs> so. Okay. But anyway, Dan posted this link to a sale that was going on in this, and my old monitor was dying. Uh, I, I just uh, fired up uh, system information here. It's a Dell U2913WM. They have such it's a knack for naming products I know. Over what there, a great name. Yeah. But uh, what I wanted to get was the resolution, which is 2560 by 1080. Mm. So, yeah, the, so the I've, super I've, wide – I'm sorry, Katie. No, let me I was, go ahead. The super wide monitor, the, do the Mac see that no problem and drive to it? I mean, did you have any trouble uh, hooking it to a Mac? Um, the, the only trouble I had was that instead of using the HDMI port, uh, I had to use the Display Port, but it actually came with the cables I needed. I just picked the wrong ones. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I love it. 
Yeah, I've switched to um, one monitor at work, and we used to have dual screen setups. And I just, when we had an opportunity, when we had a reason to buy a new monitor, I said, "No, I just, I just want one, but buy me a big one." And I like it a lot better. And yeah, I get the same basic. I, I have don't gone have the from a two screen. screen. Yeah, for a long time, I had used a laptop with an external monitor, and that's and what I do at I home. Just, yeah, yeah, and I had just never. Uh, about a year or two ago, I, I just went back to a single monitor, and, and I actually found that I liked it more. And uh, but this is great. Um, now I purposely have avoided seeing anyone's um, uh, MacBook Pro uh, Retina, yeah, <laughs> Retina I, MacBook I, Pros. Yeah. I, I don't want to see that. You shouldn't. You really shouldn't. No. Well, no. we'll just we're uh, just going to wait for Apple to come out with the Retina monitors, and we're just going to throw down whatever it is that they ask for it, and we'll be done with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm using uh, so I have a, an aging iMac that for years I used for the show, but it's just it's just having trouble. Like last time I tried to get it to record a show, it gave up about halfway through, and it's it's way out of Apple Care. And uh, so I've been using it lately as an external monitor. So I just plug in the Thunderbolt uh, to my my laptop, and if you hit, I think it's Command F2, it turns it on as an external monitor. And that that's working okay. But I'll tell you, that the Retina screen is just gorgeous. Although I don't think I could afford what it would cost to make one for 27 inches. No, I, I think, think it's going to be a while before those get down into mortal price range. Yeah, that's going to be painful. I think I'd be right in there with TJ with the, you know, staying married versus having a lot of pixels <laughs> on my screen. <laughs> But you can put a really nice photo of your former family up on the screen. Exactly. <laughs> it would pixel perfect. In, in memory, yeah. So so you've got, you're, you're running off a Mac Mini, and you've got the super wide. And I, I am curious, just before we move on, how are you using it differently than you would use two monitors? Uh, good question. I, I think I'm using it very similar to the way that I use two monitors, except that I don't have that big old bar in the middle. Yeah, so you know, um, you're not like making a pages document that's 29 inches wide. Where you have oh, to spin don't get me started on pages. Proofread. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite features in pages that I used all the time was being able to look at two pages side by side, but you can't do that now in the new Play-Doh version of pages that they've given us. Wow, you sound um, kind of bitter, TJ. Uh, I just uh, there's a bunch of things that Apple does that have just annoyed me, um, but that was one of them. But I've got uh, uh, an app called Spectacle, which uh, does something. There's another one, Size Up or something like that, that gives you keyboard commands to move things around. Uh, and a lot of what I do is I've got a web page over on one side, and I've got a text document that I'm working on the other side. But I. It, there's something really nice about having that one unified space. I've got a huge menu bar that goes across the top of my screen. Um, so you, you know, don't need of, bartender. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still running it because, you know, yeah. I, I like things tidy. But uh, uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's a very different feel, even though I'm doing a lot of the same things. Uh, one of the problems, though, is that, like, if I wanted to work on one document, like right now I've got a BB edit window open. And if I had it go full screen, I, you, I've got to like push back in my seat to actually read, uh, you know, the whole thing there. So um, a lot of it is just the the ability to do side by side, you know, two different things, and and just not have that visual break of the monitor bezel. I do think it's interesting to talk about full screen and and where that's appropriate. And to me, you know, full screen came out about the same time as the 11 and the 13 inch MacBook Air showed up, you know, when they Mm -hmm. really kind of got it figured out. And you know, that solves a big problem that they had. 
Um, I, I've never used it on the iMac because it's like, it's the same thing. I have a 27 inch iMac and a full screen document. I just, I don't think it makes sense very often. Maybe like with aperture it would, but in general, I think there's a dividing line and it really involves the smaller laptops. Uh, with the 15 inch, my, my main computer is a 15 inch retina MacBook pro, which has ruined me by the way, you're right not Mm -hmm. to look at these, but I actually put quite a bit of uh, uh, documents into full screen. And one of the things I really like about it is on the laptop, you just do the four finger swipe up and then you get that great view where you can see all the open windows and you can see uh, the full screen apps have a label under the window. So I can see one says Scrivener and one says, you know, OmniFocus or whatever. And it makes it very easy to jump between them because you know exactly what's on each screen. And uh, so I use it a lot more in my laptops than I, than I thought I would, even with this larger size 15-inch screen. Katie, are you a big full-screen user? I don't think we've ever very, talked about that. Very seldom do I use full-screen mode, uh, even even when I'm on my 13-inch. I just my, – my eyesight is still pretty good, and I, I keep my, my resolution high and my window's pretty small and like to move all my stuff around. And most of the time, my 13-inch is connected to this 24-inch display, and so there's really not a need – and especially if I've got it in dual display mode where I've got my 13-inch on the side, I like you know, having kind of my secondary screens on the small screen and my main stuff on the big screen. So, no, very seldom. Yeah, I, work, I, work, I probably work in full screen more than I don't these days. But, uh, well, that's, before that's this, I was using a, a 13-inch MacBook Air. Yeah. Uh, that was the first computer I had that uh, had an SSD and was just really, really amazed. I, I'm not sure... I can't imagine what the next thing will be that that gives us a big of an advance in you know day to day use of a computer as as SSDs will, but yeah. uh, it's just amazing. Well, well it, um, it, go ahead, Katie. Well, I was just going to say we we've talked an awful lot about full screen and and screen size. I want to talk about another piece of his setup. If you guys were done talking about screens, yeah, let's move on. Yeah, so, so, this idea was to talk about full screen anyway. Yeah, Jeez. well, I'm just saying you guys have been talking about the screen size for like ten minutes. I don't know what's up with that, but. Um, we'll, we'll fix all this in post. Yeah, yeah. No, but um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about your setup, and I'd heard you mention this before, I think maybe it was on Brett's show or uh, one of the other shows that I've heard you on, is that I understand that, that you have very limited broadband access. Oh, yes. Uh, right now I'm, I'm at my office and we've got a very nice uh, AT&T U-verse connection to the internet. But at home... Uh, when we moved here in 2003, they told us that the cable run ended a mile from our house. I'd be out and there you know running where it my ends own now? cable. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, it, it still ends a mile from our house. Uh, we can only get the only high-speed option that we have is for satellite internet. Uh, right now, we have HughesNet. We had Wild Blue before, although it's really, you know, the difference between them is like, do you want to be punched in the face or the stomach? And just for people listening, TJ's in Ohio, right? Yes, I'm in I'm in very rural Ohio, and if we were you know just a little bit closer to town, uh, like we've got Verizon LTE uh, where where I live, believe it or not, uh, but that also ends uh, like a mile from our house. Uh, we've had Sprint, AT and T, and Verizon, and they all must have the same tower because it all falls off, right? Uh, we can get it in the driveway, but not actually in the house. So yeah, I'm on, not only is uh, satellite slow, uh, a lot of latency, uh, which is the time between you clicking on something and the, it actually doing something, but it's also quoted, 
which means that I pay $100 a month, United States dollars, 100 of them per month, for 20 gigabytes, which is shared between three people. I I just figured out why TJ is so prolific. (laughs) (laughs) He has no, he doesn't have the internet, he doesn't have Netflix, he just works. Uh, yeah, no, we have Netflix, uh, but I get discs. I get DVDs. Yeah, yep. you can't have any kind of streaming video, really. Nope. Um, no, nope. I have a shell script that downloads YouTube. If uh, there's a YouTube video I want to watch, I download it in case I ever want to watch it again. Now, is there is there any kind of like can you can you use bandwidth after one a.m. or something like that? Is there any kind? Is it yes? Or is that just yeah, during that peak hours or? Uh, there's, uh, 20 gigabytes during what they call normal hours, which is from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. And then I get another 20 gigabytes that I can use between 2 a.m. and 8 a.m., which is good and bad. Um, the, you know, again, for automation's sake, there are things that I can do, you know, to have my computers, uh, you know, auto update themselves. Uh, one of the nice things with the new, uh, I think this is new in Mavericks in uh, the App Store when it you know asks you if you want to update your apps. Uh, of course, it by default it just wants to automatically update them. I think, but yeah, uh, it, it'll pop that thing up and it'll say you know like try again tonight. And somewhere along the line, I I went and researched what that was, and I think it said it will try again between like two a.m. and five a.m. So that that's you right know, within gives your me a sweet good window. Yeah. Yep. I, I uh, wanted to mention this specifically because every now and again, we'll have a couple of people write in and, and David and I, and I think most of us uh, living at least in the United States and, and other places, you know, take for granted this ubiquitous broadband internet. And, you know, you really point out that it, it's not everywhere yet. Um, and Apple is really bad at this. For, they are, you know, for, for iOS, uh, when iOS sees a Wi-Fi network, it just assumes it can do you know everything. It, it tries very hard to con, you know to contain itself when you're on um, cellular, but you know Wi-Fi is a free-for-all, and Mac OS X has basically nothing uh, built in to help you control your internet use. Uh, there was one one month I think we were two or three days into our quota. And it was. I woke up one morning, and there's a little web page that we can check from the modem to see what our quarters left, and it was gone. Like four days into the month, and I still have no idea what it was. But something, you know, had just been churning away, and you know, twenty gigabytes isn't all that much, and it's, it was just know, gone. One of my books is a gigabyte, so that's like <laughs> a significant percentage of your monthly allotment just to download a book. Yeah, I mean, One yeah, well, and, and so what I do is, you know, I, I, with the laptops, I, you know, bring them into uh, the church office and, uh, you know, I run updates there. Um, and my wife and son bring their iOS devices here whenever there's an update, because, of course, those, those will wait to install until you tell them to, but they'll download anytime they find a Wi Fi connection. Yeah, they and download in the background and they tell you, hey, yeah. I just downloaded the update. You're ready to install it. I just it. downloaded 700 megabytes. Yeah. Which, by the way, is about a day. If you, if you divide the quota that we get uh, by, I think it's 30 or 31 days, you actually do get 666 megabytes, which is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> what, now, what did you, um, with this problem, I mean, why did you decide to go from a laptop to a desktop? 
Uh, the de- the uh, Mac Mini is at the is at my office, which okay. is yeah. it's hooked directly to the DSL line. Okay. Uh, I actually have an iMac at home that um, is mostly it mostly works as like a media player at this point. Um, but it uh, <laughs> here's here's a little automation. You, how do you use your Mac on a local network without giving it internet access? You you, you assign it a an internal IP address, or you assign it a um a, you give it a self assigned IP address of some kind, or nope. no, nope. And this is without any third party software. It took me a while to figure this one out. You set the DNS servers to zero 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 zero. Oh, on the Mac. Ah, okay. On the Mac itself. Yeah. Yeah, that makes and sense. then the Mac can see the local network because uh, I had an Apple TV. Uh, and again, I like the old Apple TV where you could put stuff on it instead of streaming everything for obvious reasons. Uh, but the Mac, uh, the iMac served the Apple TV. So I needed it to be able to see each other on the local network. But I didn't want the iMac, you know, on its own going out and using my. So I've got a shell script that deletes the DNS servers at 2 a.m., and at 8 a.m., it resets them to zero, 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 zero. Wow, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I, I wonder, but I only had to do it once. I wonder yeah. if you can get any kind of specialized firmware for, for a router. I know some of these Buffalo routers and, and some of the D-Link routers you can get, you can you can put custom firmware on them. I, I wonder if there's anything you can do to to throttle or, or otherwise manage your bandwidth at the, at the router level. Well, I've got um, the HughesNet modem that I have is uh, fairly atrocious. Uh, you can't actually even put it into bridge mode because I've got an Airport Extreme, of course, where I could do all sorts of nice things. But um, the uh, DHCP stuff has to go through their uh, modem. So wow. a lot of it would be a lot easier if I could do something with it. But unfortunately, the, the and the satellite Internet companies, I mean... I guess they have good intentions for what it's worth, but they know that you know the, their only customers are people who have literally no other choice. So, yeah. so uh, on the <laughs> iMac, do you just turn off the airport? I mean, do you just turn off the connection to the internet? No, that's if, if I did. If I turned off the yeah, airport, I couldn't use it on the network. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. There, I'm surprised. Is is there anybody that's come up with some kind of software to help throttle and manage the the internet usage off an iMac? It seems to me like that would be something a third party developer could answer. Well, I I well, experiment. Little, little snitch. Yeah, I was going to say little snitch is is the best solution that I've found for um, yeah. throttling on specific networks, and you can do stuff like block um you know big ones like cra- well crash plan you can throttle per network and um. Yeah, iPhoto is doing the uh, the photo sh- uh, photo stream photo stream in the background is a big one too. Yeah, and the great thing with Little Snitch is uh, whatever their their last big big version uh, upgrade was, they came up with something called Profiles, and it, it will automatically switch itself uh, depending on the Wi-Fi network. So, like I've I've got mine. So when my laptop hits my home network, it blocks Dropbox. Yeah. Because Dropbox will suck up a lot of bandwidth. Yeah, the Dropbox may be the the culprit in the time you lost all your data in three days. It, you know, yep. it that's very likely. I find sometimes that I have tethering turned on for my phone because I'm using my laptop out somewhere. I'm tethering, and if I don't pay attention to that, and then you know, Daisy and, or Katie and I start sharing, um, you know, four gigabyte audio files. All of a sudden, <laughs> bye madness ensues. The um, yep. 
uh, you know, I, we haven't talked about Little Snitch now for a long time on the show, and I thought we should just give it a little kind of shout. Uh, so you've got software that manages uh, wh- who's getting into your computer, but Little Snitch tells you where your computer is dialing out. So when you have an application at phones home just to check for an update or share information, Little Snitch is always watching and tells you about that. And it's kind of a mixed blessing. Uh, I, I used to use it a lot. Um, I think you have to be really kind of nerdy to get the most out of it. And it's very tempting uh, when you first start using it just to say okay to every reported usage. And then all of a sudden it kind of loses its effectiveness. But I understand the more recent updates are getting better at not being so naggy with you about it. They're, they're much better. And you can uh, set up defaults now where you can have it say like by default every time something new comes up. You know, I want you to say no unless I say yes within 15 seconds or 30 seconds or vice versa. Um, and so it, it is a lot better than it used to be. There's another app called Radio Silence, uh, radiosilenceapp.com, uh, that I've also used. It's not as uh, complicated. I, I don't think it has the profile support, which is obviously huge for me. But uh, if you do tether your laptop anywhere, uh, you, you should really create a little snitch profile uh, for tethering and, and use that because, like I said, your, your your Mac is doing so many things you have no idea about uh, behind your back network-wise. And most of them, you know, not nefarious at all. Most of them are things you want it to do. But, uh, you know, if you've signed up for a, an iTunes uh, season pass for something and, and then all of a sudden, you know, a new episode comes out, that's, you know, you can blow through a gigabyte easy there. Yeah. Um, well, I want to talk about more, uh, TJ, but we need to pay the bills, too. Uh, so let's take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Fujitsu. Uh, Fujitsu has been with us now for a couple of years. We're really proud to have them sponsoring the show. And the product that uh, we're most excited about from Fujitsu is their ScanSnap line of scanners. Uh, honestly, a week doesn't go by that I don't hear from a listener who says, you know, I listen to your Fujitsu ads. And, you know, I always kept it in my mind. I finally needed a scanner. I went and bought one. And I can't believe I didn't do it sooner because these scanners are just so great. They're made uh, with the Mac in mind. They have software that works just for the Mac. And and, the, and they're just super. They add the optical character recognition. And they've got a variety of models available depending on what you need. My favorite is the iX500. That's kind of the 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 desktop mainline scanner they have these days. It's full duplex. I'm sitting here right now as I record this and I'm looking at it lovingly because I scan so many documents through the scanner. It, it does. Uh, it's got a 50 sheet feeder. It's USB 3.0, but it does 25 pages per minute. It can also scan wirelessly. It can also scan directly to a mobile device because they've got an iOS app now that'll talk to this Fujitsu ScanSnap iX500. It's a great device. One of the things I really like is the advanced paper feeding system. So, um, you know, when you put papers in to be scanned into your scanner, sometimes it'll grab two or have some kind of problem. You don't get that with a Fujitsu. It's got exceptional uh, feeding reliability using what they call a separation roller, which makes sure that there's no jams and gets the paper through right. I just, I'm just very happy with the scanner. Uh, if you don't want something that big, you can get the S1300i, which is more portable, but still great. In fact, I'm going to be bringing my S1300i to Macworld with me at the end of the month because I'm going to do a, sh- a session on paper and I'm going to have it, and that's the one I can bring in my bag. It does 12 pages per minute, but it still has two-sided, multi-page scanning on the go, so you're ready to go. 
And if you really want something portable, the S1100 will do the job for you. It's the ultimate in portability. It's USB powered, and it's easy to carry around. So uh, it's almost like a wand. You can put it in your bag and make scans. You can learn more at easy.com slash SSMPU. That's the site that makes people at Fujitsu know that you came from us. So make sure you go to that one and check out a Fujitsu scan snap because you're really going to like it. Uh, thanks Fujitsu for sponsoring the show. So we've, we've gone on for, you know, almost 30 minutes now and other than just the brief introduction, we, we haven't talked at all kind of about what, at least what I know you best for. And, and that, that's some of your automation hacks and some of, uh, some of these amazing things that you do with Apple Script and Keyboard Maestro and Text Expander and, and all of these little things that, that make life easier. And, and you've even you know, shared some of, your, some of your tips with me, and, and I've been so appreciative of that. I know you share it with the, the community at large. But um, how did you get into Mac automation. <laughs> um, gosh, that's a great question. I, I'm I'm pretty sure it came about with I, I can't even remember where it originally started from, but I think that the first the sort of gateway drug was Text Expander uh, or Text Pander. I think was what it was called when I first started using it. Uh, yeah, you now know, you're going was, back. Yeah, I mean, and this was just, you know, a, a simple program where all of a sudden you can type a few letters and, you know, something longer will come out. And from that, I went into Hazel. And the thing I loved about Hazel was I threw everything on my desktop, but I hated having stuff on my desktop. Um, and so Hazel was great because it could all of a sudden, you know, I, I could throw stuff on my desktop. But then if it had been there for a while, I would have it pushed out to my um, documents folder and sort it by, you know, file type and, you know, the images went to the pictures uh, folder and, and things like that. And then uh, Keyboard Maestro was actually the one that I, I uh, have only recently picked up. And I, I really wish I had gotten into it sooner because I had no idea how many things um, it could do. And, you know, this, this literally just popped into my head, but it occurs to me that... Uh, an automation app that not a lot of us think about as an automation app is another one that we all use, which is 1Password, right? You know, yeah, automatically yeah. logging into a website. Uh, you know, it was just that sort of thing of this makes my life a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And um, one of the first things I did in Keyboard Maestro uh, was I set up a, a macro that would uh, – I could just turn this on when I needed it and it would run just every like 30 seconds or something like that. When iTunes came up and there was some prompt, you know, I think it was when iOS app updates I, you know, were doing through iTunes and there would be this thing that came up, you know, like, uh, are you 18 or something like this? Well, I'd go to lunch, you know, and run all these downloads thinking, you know, thinking it was going to up update. And I'd come back from lunch and find out that, oh, no, it only updated two of them because it's been prompting me, sitting here prompting me to ask me if I'm 18, even though Apple has my credit card information, my birth date, and every other piece of information about me. And it never remembers that I've always said I was 18 before. Sorry, I'm getting a little ranty again. But at any rate, so I just set this thing up and I'm like, okay, well, now I'm going to be gone for the next hour. And if you see a, a, an OK button in iTunes, just press it. Uh, and it, it grew from there. Yeah, I think Keyboard Maestro is the the Swiss Army knife of all of these because it just can be used in so many different ways. And and every new update, it seems like they add something new and interesting to it. 
um, we've talked in the past about how now it detects a device. Like uh, Katie was told us once where if you plug in her Fujitsu ScanSnap, going back to the sponsor, I guess, uh, it, it opens the ScanSnap software for her. She doesn't have to um, manually open that. Right. Or sp- specifically, if you raise the hood on it, it, it opens the software. And if you close the hood, it closes the software. But yeah. I, well, yeah, I guess because it would, it doesn't detect it until it's turned on, which doesn't right. happen until you turn it on. Right. Until you raise the hood, yeah. Well, by the way, not only am I sitting here next to a ScanSnap iX500, I'm shaking my fist at you, David. But um, you're not alone. <laughs> let's just say that. In fact, Macworld, uh, my wife said, decided she wants to go with me to Macworld this year. And I said, okay, well, just be aware that I'm going to meet a lot of people that are really cool and fans of the show. And their significant others. And you'll always be able to tell the one that listens to the show versus the one that uh, looks at the credit card statement and says, where is this fellow Sparks? And, you know, I have a bone to pick. <laughs> uh, and in my hand, I actually have a uh, Griffin uh, PowerMate, which I specifically bought because the two of you were talking about it a few months ago. And I thought, you know, I always wanted one of these things that was Bluetooth. But, you know... It's obviously never going to be Bluetooth, so I might as well just buy one. (laughs) And I bought it, and it's really great, but like, you know, it never fails. Like, you know, 31 days after I buy something. Uh, My first Mac, by the way, was the last Power PC. um, uh, What were they called when they were PowerBooks? PowerBooks, yeah. 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 I bought a PowerBook uh, in what was it, 2004? And like the next year, they announced that they were no, they they actually were going to Intel. <laughs> so. Well, the, the PowerMate, I haven't got one of the USB, the uh, Bluetooth ones, but I have the corded one still. That is a really great tool, and we've talked about it in the show in the past. But it's basically a big dial that plugs into your Mac. And it's a big button, too. You can press down on it. But you can do a lot of automation stuff with that when you start fiddling oh, yeah, with it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And well, one of the things that I, I'm still trying to figure out, and, and I want to know if maybe you guys have figured it out or, or maybe one of the listeners has, is um, I think many people are familiar with the app Shush. Yes. Yeah. Or, I'm uh, using it podcasting. right now. Well, is there a way? What I want to be able to do really is use the uh, PowerMate as a, as a cough button. George Starcher has figured that out, and I don't know how he did it because he did something nifty scripty. <laughs> and but but that okay. would be right up your alley, and so if you could make that more understandable, I would appreciate it. Or yeah. or, or just okay. give it to me. Well, the the, the power <laughs> may just you know for the listeners out there who haven't seen one of these things, uh, it comes with a series of Apple scripts. It's completely scriptable, and yes. you can not only script how it behaves, but what it does. For instance, it's got a blue light in it, and you can change the blue light to flash or to be bright, or to be a dim. In fact, that was one of the problems I have, is I plug it into the iMac in the corner of my bedroom, and then at night, you know, I, I don't want a nightlight. So I actually have <laughs> one of my PowerMate scripts, is if I hold down the command key and then long press on the PowerMate, it turns the light off, which is a script I built based on some of the stuff that came with the thing. You know, once I start, I'm like you, I'm a hacker. I just start fiddling with it until I get it to work. But, but George made a really clever script that turns off the mic and and we'll put in the show notes and not only does he make it so it works as a cough button but when you've engaged it the power mate actually blinks so you know that you're muted at that time oh yeah that's exactly what i want yeah that'd be great all right i'll send it Uh, to you but we'll put in the show notes too yeah so um you know it was really those type of things where 
something just annoyed me and <laughs> I, I wanted to figure out a, a way to do it. And uh, one of the articles I wrote on, on Tua that I, I think was, I think was one of the better ones. I don't know if anybody else thinks it was, uh, talked about the automation mindset. And it really, it, it's, I'm sure the two you're familiar with this is once you start solving problems this way, all of a sudden, then you start to find more ways when you can do it. But until you, you get one of your own, like I was never somebody who could sit down with a book and, and learn something because until I had a problem that I wanted to fix, it wasn't going to stick. It wasn't going to be interesting. Um, so it, everything I've learned has really been come out from, uh, you know, trying to solve some, some problem or another. And that really goes back beyond but before my time and next all the way back to uh, my, my college experience and with the next computers, uh, I, I had a work study job, which was completely horrendous. And I hated it. And I, I went to the guy in the computer who ran the computer labs and said, uh, uh, they want, you know, they had advertised it, they needed people. And I said, if you hire me in like three months, I'll be your best employee or something. You know, I was 18. What do you know? Um, and he hired me. And so I said, OK, well, I need to be able to figure out how to solve other people's problems. And when they couldn't figure things out and things like that. And uh, back then we had Usenet groups uh, that uh, we were involved in and people started trading, uh, you know, ways to change things, customize things, or make things a little easier. Uh, nothing like what we had now. Uh, but it really came from that of, you know, uh, somebody's got this thing. And I, I'm sure you've had this experience, right, where you, you watch somebody else, like the church secretary not too long ago, I, I watched her turn a computer on in the morning, and like 15 alert things come up, and she just clicks them all away. Yeah. And there are things like that she should have dealt with once, like a month ago. She's like, oh, yeah, the fax machine hasn't worked for a month. Yeah. Well, I mean, that <laughs> that's the first level. I had the same thing. I was looking at my daughter and on her iPhone and it gave her the message that the voicemail needs a problem fixed. And you push one button and it dials the phone and you push another button and it's fixed and you never see that message again. I'm like, how long have you been looking at that? And she's like, oh, I don't know. It's been going on a couple months. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but that's one level. But I'd like to think our listeners have got over that level. I think that, oh, yeah. I think our listeners are a lot of people who are curious about this stuff who've never tried it. And, you know, once again, we get these testimonial emails from listeners talking about saying, you know, I listened to you guys talk about Hazel. I finally decided to try it. And, you know, how did I not do this sooner? Because it really is something that you don't need to be a programmer to do. And, and once you go in there and familiarize yourself with it, with solving one problem, and you're absolutely right. You can't just go and learn this stuff in the abstract. But if you go to solve one problem, it gives you a taste for the power of these tools. And then all of a sudden you start seeing all these other problems in your life that could use a little bit more automation too. Yeah. And, and Hazel's magic is really that, that it's so simple. I mean, yeah, I, I'm sure you've mentioned before that, you know, if you can write a, a mail rule, you can do, you know, you can write a, a Hazel, you know, uh, recipe. I'm not even sure what, what they're called. But, you know, and, and they're just some simple things. Like, you know, I wrote one that when a new application gets added to my applications folder, it shows me that application because I probably want to launch it. But I probably don't want it, you know, I might not want it to automatically launch, but, you know, just that thing where it pops up or when a new file shows up in my downloads folder and it's smart enough to know when a download is, you know, not finished, 
Um, because, you know, again, I'm, <laughs> the other problem I have is, you know, attention span where I'm like, you know, what was I doing? Uh, and so I got, you know, I started downloading this thing, but it was big file and it took a while. And you know, then I forgot to go back to it when it was finished. So how do you take that to the next level? Because I've gotten very comfortable with Hazel. I'm very comfortable with Text Expander. Keyboard Maestro was the next thing that I tackled. And I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty comfortable with Keyboard Maestro. But now with these tools, you can expand them even further by getting into things like AppleScript. And I have never learned a programming language to the extent that you can call AppleScript a programming language. I guess it is. <laughs> and right. And so that seems like a good next step. I know there are so many more things that I can do uh, if I could hack out a simple simple Apple script. I mean, that would be, I could do more things with Text Expander, more things with Hazel, more things with Keyboard Maestro, buying, being able to incorporate Apple script in there. And that's the piece that I don't know. And I know it's just a matter of time, you know, to sit down and, and apply myself and to learn these things. Any suggestions for, you know, once you've kind of got the basics of, of some of these simple automation tools and, and how you can work through, let's call them, you know, the preset settings, the, the click click settings that you can put through. H how do you go deeper in learning the next steps? Well, the for me, it's a little tricky because I came at it on from the from my time on the, the next side of things, my introduction to all of this was shell scripting, which isn't something that I, I suspect a lot of people want to get involved in. Uh, but if you want to get involved, if you want to sort of dip your toe in the water, so to speak, for shell scripting, there's actually a really cool application called Code Runner, which you can find in the App Store. I think it's like five bucks or something like that. But the neat thing is, it will let you it does a good job of of syntax highlighting so it'll show you if you've you know made a mistake uh, but it'll also let you run something right there so you don't have to go into the terminal application or anything like that you can just run your program and see what it does uh, and really I think the biggest problem that that I know I faced and I'm guessing a lot of our listeners faced is that after you get past the this sort of advanced beginner stage, there's not a lot of places to go for, like, you know, who do you go to for computer help? You know, you're, if you're the one who everyone comes to for computer help, you know, who do you turn to? Uh, and, the, you know, for most of us, that might be Google. The problem with AppleScript that I've found is that a lot of the stuff I find on Google, if it's, especially if it's a couple years old, is the AppleScript stuff may have changed, uh, this is what killed me for AppleScript with doing um, uh, mail app rules, is that I, I think it was somewhere along. I'm blaming sandboxing, but I don't know if that was it or not. But uh, makes sense. It just I seemed like all of a sudden, a lot of stuff. Yeah, and and so all of a sudden, you know, stuff stopped working there. Uh, one of the this has been a huge help for me is I actually found uh, a year or two ago, I guess, I started heading over to. Um, the Ask Different, the uh, Apple Stack Exchange site. And that's where I've started going for, hey, look, I've got this idea. I want to do this type of thing. And, you know, here's what I'm sort of thinking about. And usually you'll get at least two or three people who come up with, you know, some kind of a, a usually a better idea, uh, you know, or maybe a completely different idea of how to tackle it. And there are some people there who are just great at, you know, the, the guy who knows AppleScript the best 
and who kind of, you know, hates his day job <laughs> uh, is probably going to check out, you know, the site a couple of times a day to see if there's somebody he can help. Because you guys have probably had this experience, too, of, you know, th there's this nice little rush feeling that you get when all of a sudden you realize that you have fixed a, a problem for someone. And that's been a good place for me to go. And, and I usually find that the information is a lot more up to date um, than, you know, some random uh, Google search result. Uh, Apple script for me has has really been um, as a shell script. I was always surprised. I never learned Perl. Uh, don't tell John Syracuse. And um, as, as a Mac automator, the the language I use the least is actually Apple script. Hmm. Uh, I, I I don't use Apple script unless I have to, but that's mostly me because I can I, I tend more towards the shell scripting side of things. Well, the, and. Yeah, that let me center up there for a second. There, sure. There's actually an interesting reason for that, I would imagine. And one of them is, you know, a shell script is more of a traditional programming language. It follows more traditional rules. Whereas Apple Script tries to use natural English in the right. programming, which makes it, especially with someone with formal computer training, it makes it even more wacky. Because, you know, just the syntax is so odd. And then there's another piece of this. Like if, if someone's listening to this right now saying, I want to invest some time in getting good at this stuff, I'm not sure I would recommend AppleScript. Uh, it would depend on what exactly they want to do because I'm not convinced AppleScript is going to be around forever. I mean, you always wonder if Apple's just going to pull the plug on it someday. And, and shell scripting in a lot of ways is more portable and maybe more future-proof than AppleScript at this point. Well, I, I would agree. Uh, I don't. Again, I don't know. It, it's hard to predict what Apple's going to do. But uh, I, I was kind of wondering. I think it was Andy Anako or somebody who wrote an, a really good article for MacWorld. I think it was about uh, you know what was Apple Script going to die in Mavericks, uh, and we were kind of relieved to see it was still there. I really think if I was, I think the next level is probably still to be found in Keyboard Maestro. And the reason that I say that is, is that you can do, I think the things that you would try to do with AppleScript, I bet you can do through Keyboard Maestro in a way that's going to uh, work even if the AppleScript language changes or if a particular app, um, you know, doesn't support, um, doesn't support AppleScript or, you know. Uh, one example, yeah, again, uh, not all of these things are huge. But uh, when, when I launched Pages, uh, when I launched Pages 2009, because that's the version that I'm sticking with until they make a good one, it always starts a blank document with the ruler. And I never want to see the ruler. So I made a thing where every time a new document opens in Pages, Keyboard Maestro goes and it selects the – it looks to see if there's a menu item for hide ruler. And if there is, it selects it. Yeah, and see that—that's um, a very traditional AppleScript type command. Because right, exactly. With AppleScript, and you just start piecing those together, and then all of a sudden it becomes a oh wow, this is a whole, this is a really complicated thing, but it was really simple pieces. Yeah, and with AppleScript is really great. I guess going back to the hypothetical listener that's trying to decide, what AppleScript is great at is the libraries, where the app developer makes a library. Like OmniFocus mm -hmm. is one that has a really thorough AppleScript library, and there's all these great scripts doing things to OmniFocus using essentially AppleScript. Um, Keyboard Maestro can do a lot of that stuff. If there's a menu command for it, it can fire it off. So... 
Um, you're right. That that would be, I think, a good place to look for some of this stuff. Now, we've been dancing around this subject, but TJ, you're going to tell us some of your secret <laughs> ones. Uh, but before we do that, I think, why don't we uh, have another sponsor uh, from Katie? Yeah. Well, David, you were talking about Omni, so let's let's just continue on there. And um, Omni is a sponsor of this episode. But you talk about Omni Focus quite a bit. I want to talk a little bit about Omni Outliner, uh, especially because there was just an update to Omni Outliner version four. And you know, as I record this, we're getting ready to go off to to MacWorld at the end of the month. But before we can go off to MacWorld, David, you and I at least had to put together some presentations that we were giving at MacWorld, and I know that you are very much a mind mapper, but that is not how my mind works. I am an outliner and I just can't wrap my mind around mind mapping. So whenever I sit down to give a presentation of any significance and this one at Macworld that I'm doing on the Apple Media Center plug is going to be one. I have I start out an Omni Outliner. So that is the first application that I open, and I, I type the title of my presentation in the t- very top of Omni Outliner, and then I start working down, you know, big picture ideas of things that I want to talk about, and those eventually, you know, turn into segments of my presentations, and then I outline down into sub-segments of the presentation, and sometimes I get very granular, and sometimes I keep it more open concepts. But I really feel like that is where I do... You know, certainly I put a lot of time and effort into designing the slides and making them look good, but but that's really where the hard work of my presentation comes is an Omni Outliner of figuring out what's going to go where and being able to collapse things, that I, sections that I'm not quite ready to work on or being able to open them back up again, or perhaps if I found bits of information that I want to do something with, but I'm not quite sure how, grabbing them off of web pages and sticking them into Omni Outliner. Or if I want to move something around in my presentation and I decide, you know, I had this towards the end, but maybe it would get, this whole section would go better towards the beginning, being able to grab entire chunks of my outline uh, and move them around and have everything reflow and fit back in exactly where it's going to. Uh, it, it's just how my mind works. I don't, I don't understand the, the whole bubble thingy that, that it is that you do. But, you know, I, I just love how, how much that bothers you. It, it really it's so messy. And and Omni Outliner is the opposite of messy. It is it is clean. It is lineal. I'm so excited. I'm waving my arms around and hit the microphone stand here. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, and and Omni Outliner version four is just absolutely gorgeous with some of the new templates that you can work with. But probably my favorite part of working with Omni Outliner uh, is they've now introduced this new syncing service. And Omni went in and they built this sync service themselves. It's called Omni Sync Service. And they they spent so much time and effort building this, and then they gave it away to everybody for free. So if you use any of the Omni products, you can go sign up for an account, or you can use their your own web dev if you if you want to use your uh, your own cloud to create this, and it will go out and it will sync all of your Omni documents to various computers or to your iOS devices. So I'm able to start my Omni outline on my computer at home and then I can grab my iPad and I can go out. We've got this coffee shop that I like working at from time to time. So I grab my iPad and I can work on my iPad and I can move segments around and I can add ideas as I have them, close my iPad, come back home and everything is there. And it, it was just absolutely marvelous. My entire outline was there. I did use your trick to export to OPML and then import into uh, slides and keynote. And uh, I appreciate that. That was helpful. And now I've got the outline of my keynote file. And yeah, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into making those actual keynote slides look good. But my presentation is there. And for me, that's, that's, the, hard, that's the hard work. 
is 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 making my presentation there and making sure that I have all the information. And uh, Omni Outliner is just a great tool for that. Um, version four is absolutely amazing. If you haven't, go over to their website at omnigroup.com and pull down a free trial, and you can try it. Um, Omni Outliner version four for a uh, individual license is forty nine ninety nine, or you can get family licenses to any of Omni's stuff. Uh, if you want to go with the pro version that gives you some additional options, you can pick that up for ninety nine ninety nine. Again, check out their free trial. But they also have upgrade pricing. So if you have a previous edition, make sure you head over to Omni's website and check out their upgrade pricing. And uh, thanks to Omni for their kind support of Mac Power users. That was the first big boy application I ever bought for my Mac, I think. I mean, it was one of my first. Yeah, it came with my uh, PowerBook. Yeah, I, I, you know, but you know, really go out and spend serious money on a productivity. Oh yeah, app. you know that, that. Now, Katie, when I send you an Omni outline and I use like different colors for the different layers, does that bother you? I'm good with colors as long as you're consistent. Now, if I use different typography, I just need to know where the lines are here. Uh, you're 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 skating on thin ice with the typography. As long as they're in the same font family, it will be okay. Okay. But, but if you but, start crossing the streams, mind maps are a no no. No mind right? maps. No mind maps. Okay. Or right. you can send me the OPML for your mind map, and I'll stick it into an outline. Okay. <laughs> and then we, so then I'm sure we can someone else has already. I'm sure someone else has already pointed this out, but I mean, there has to be a connection right between the, the, the person who likes outlines and the person who likes folders and the person who likes mind maps and the person who likes tags, right? I mean, th- there's got to be a connection there. You would think, somewhere but, deep, but David's not a big tag our, person. I'm an anarchist. I do it all. I do it all. <laughs> you do what you want. I, I like um, starting out with a mind map, but then... It does go into Omni Outliner at the end because I feel like there's different parts of my brain that process things differently. And when I look at it as a mind map, I get different ideas. And then when I when I put it into an outline, if it's something that's outlineable, some of the mind maps are not outlineable. But I, I just uh, don't have that piece of my brain. I, I'm right there with you, Katie. I, I, I want I want to be good at mind maps. I'm just not. But I love Omni Outliner. It's, yeah. it's I just upgraded. Not only I mean I'm a big proponent of buying directly from developers instead of the app store yeah. for lots of reasons. But one, you know, obviously upgrade pricing. Uh, and I was kind of, kind of proud. I was able to upgrade from the educational version of Omni outliner up to the uh, full version. Cause I finally did graduate and I, I, I but I was also glad to be able to do that because uh, it's a great application. Okay. Here's an, here's an Omni tip for you with keyboard maestro. Very simple. Here, here's here's your start for someone who wants to get into Keyboard Maestro. Uh, I, I said earlier on Twitter today to somebody that I, I made a mental note. And what I mean when I say I made a mental note, if I really care about the mental note, is I put it into OmniFocus. So the easiest way to put something into OmniFocus is to use the little quick add thing, right? Where there's some keyboard combination. I don't know what the default is, but uh, for me, it's Command-Shift-Alt. And oh, for OmniFocus. That's a lot of keys, TJ. Ah, well, it, we'll get back. Let's bring come back around to that. All right. But when I when I hit that keyboard combination, what happens if OmniFocus isn't running? I'm well, it, well, it, it, it opens up OmniFocus, and then exactly, my keyboard maestro macro 
very, and this is very simple. I click on a thing and it, it looks for conditions and it says this application, which applications, and it gives me a list. I click on the one that says OmniFocus and it says is not running. What do I want to do? I want to activate OmniFocus. Uh, and then once OmniFocus is running, then I want to trigger the show quick entry. So when I pressed that keyboard shortcut, I didn't have to learn a new keyboard shortcut. I just did the keyboard shortcut as it you know usually is. But it just took a little, you know, it took a couple extra seconds for the app to load, and then it came up and did the thing. Now, if uh, OmniFocus is already running, uh, it just uh, Keyboard Maestro actually then does the uh, the keyboard shortcut that uh, needs to uh, to trigger the uh, command space, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you, you were talking about the fact that this is really complicated. It, it is Shift. I'm going to start from the space bar. It's Command, Alt, Control, Shift. Oh. Now, you'd think to yourself, self, that's crazy. That's too many modifier keys. I'm not going to be able to hit all those. But because of the blessings and wonderfulness that is Brett Terpstra, I'm pausing now so Merlin can go, Terpstra. Yeah. Well, uh, I was, I was just going to take a drink. But <laughs> same thing. Um, he wrote a, a great blog post, which we'll have to uh, link to, about a, I think, what do you call it, a hyper key? Yeah. Uh, basically, he remapped his caps lock key yeah. to be command, uh, command, option, control, and shift all at once. So now all I have to do is, I don't actually press all those keys. I hold down my caps lock key, and I press O. Yeah. And the great thing about that is I don't have to worry about conflicting with other shortcuts because... Most applications are not crazy enough to try to make you do that, you know, mang- hand mangling uh, combination. So any of my uh, shortcuts that have that are global that are supposed to work in any application, uh, I use that. Uh, and it, it it's again, it's a bunch of steps. So if you look at it, you go, oh, this is really complicated. It's not. It, these are, you know, break them down. They're simple steps. There's a couple of free apps. Uh, what is it? P- PC keyboard hack. Which sounds terrible, but it's very simple. And then there's what's the other one? Uh, key remap for MacBook, which again works for all all different kinds of map, uh, Macs. I, you know, I, I think we're actually going to have to get Brett in here and just do a whole segment on keyboard remapping. Oh gosh, yes, because he that would be awesome. He has been on that horse now for about three years, and he's done some really cool stuff. But it's one of those things that's kind of daunting when you hear about it. You're like, what? I'm going to remap my keyboard? You know? Right. Well, sounds- I mean, some of the stuff he does with the key bindings, it, it's beyond me. I'm like, whoa, dude, you're getting too close to the metal there. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it would be fun to talk to the listeners about that. So I think, we, I think we're going to put that one on the list, Katie. But, the, uh, but no, I'm with you. I, that's a good yeah, idea. And, and there are lots of these. Like, uh, I, I use Sketch. Um, Sketch version one because version two is terrible. Um, it's got better though. It has. it has, it has. But you know what? It hasn't gotten as good as Sketch one. Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> I was at MacWorld and the Evernote guys were there, and I was talking to them about how I was using their products. And I said, you know, the one thing I don't like is what you guys did with Sketch. And then somebody sent me a secret version of one, you know, like an old build, <laughs> and I used it forever. But I, uh, oh yeah, you can still get it. You can still yeah. download it right from their site. But oh, uh, can you? I thought I was but, yeah. special. Well, that, <laughs> no, the, there were a lot of day. us. We, we we surrounded their their them with uh, pitchforks and and fire. But uh, but I've got the same thing for Sketch with Command Shift Five. 
uh, if Sketch isn't running, uh, Keyboard Maestro will uh, launch it and then trigger it. Uh, and again, the really nice thing for this is you don't have to have all of these things launch when you log in. And if you're one of those poor souls who's not on an SSD, or even if you're, you know, just don't want to have all these extra processes running, uh, you know, th these things add up. And the great part of it is you don't have to relearn anything. It's just taking what you already know and then applying it differently. Yeah, it, it truly is a question of learning little skills and applying them in series, just being creative enough to say, okay, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. And, um, you know, I'm speaking off the top of my head. I know, for instance, that Hazel will run an automator script, uh, mm -hmm. like an automator workflow. I believe that Keyboard Maestro does that as well, correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. So you can you can start gluing things together when there's like a service type like automator workflow, which we haven't talked about automator yet, but I think listeners probably know because we, we mention it frequently, but the, uh, you can, you can start gluing those pieces in. So you can say, okay, I'm going to use the feature in keyboard master that detects when I plug in some USB, you know, dingle hopper. And then all of a sudden I'm going to run this, this workflow from automator. And then I'm going to open up OmniFocus and trigger this menu command. I love that you use the yeah, word dingle hopper. <laughs> well, I, I usually use my dingle hopper to comb my hair. I was just thinking about that, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I plug it into my Mac. Then I usually need a new Mac afterwards. <laughs> Don't get it wet. Uh, yeah, I... Uh, Automator, I'm, I'm glad you don't want to talk about Automator because, uh, again, ironically, Automator is the one automation app I don't use. Oh, really? I, uh, I think yeah, it's pretty good. I like I, it. I think it is, but I've just never, I don't know, I've never gotten it. And it has that same sort of Apple script problem where it's trying to do, it's not as, it's not as smart as I want it to be. And at the same time, it's trying to do things that I'm not interested in. So I don't know. I'm probably not explaining that well. But well, what, um, what really made it for me with Automator was uh, I think it was Snow Leopard when you could create services. Yes. And I just do so much with that. I mean, having yep. the ability to select text or do something and make something happen, an Automator. And it's a system-wide event. Uh, Automator is a great way to do that. But like I said, we've we've covered that quite a bit in past shows. Right. Well, I'll tell you another one of my favorites, uh, and I again, I use this all the time, and, and what I keep coming back to, well, I really like writing in BB Edit. Uh, and so whatever app I'm in, if I have to write anything any length of time, I'd like to be writing it in BB Edit. Well, there's this great app called Quick Cursor, uh, written by Jesse Gro uh, Hogbay Software. Grossing. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think that app is for sale anymore. It is not because yeah. sandboxing killed it. Yeah. Don't get me started. Yeah. But what I, what I did is I made a keyboard maestro shortcut that goes like this. I press my little magic key. It selects all the text in whatever application I'm in. It does command A because that's select all in 99.99 whatever applications. It cuts the text. It switches me over to BB Edit. It opens... Uh, open to document, uh, paste, paste the text that I was working on. And uh, BB Edit actually, the command line uh, app or the Unix utility version for uh, BB Edit has this really cool thing where it will remember what application uh, it came from. Uh, so if 
for example, if I'm in Safari and I'm writing something on a, you know, a web form, well, I don't want to write it in the web form because what if Safari crashes? So I pop this over in a BB edit. I get this little uh, document that I can save, do whatever I want. And BB edit smart enough that when I save that and close that window, I don't even have to quit the app. I just close the window. It puts me back to Safari. It doesn't matter how many different apps I've used in the meantime. Flips me back to Safari and does Command-V and pastes it back in there. Now, I bet a bunch of our listeners do this all the time where they, you know, write in one application. David, maybe for you it's ByWord where, you know, maybe you want to write in ByWord but do, you know, have it paste somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I, I find myself doing that a lot. So, and when Quick Cursor finally died, um, you know, I, I made a, a version of that for BB Edit. I actually made another version of it for uh, Multi Markdown Composer, which I really like uh, if you're writing Markdown. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, it just, this it, it's a simple thing that I do five or 10 times a day. And so this re- reduces a little bit of friction. I I don't know if Katie's going to let me get into this subject, but why is it that you <laughs> like writing a, writing in BB Edit? I'm just curious. Um, probably familiarity. I, I I've BB Edit was one of the first apps I bought when I got my my first Mac. Yeah, and um, I, I've got again, it's got a lot of scripting stuff. Uh, I can. Uh, I can. I've got my own sort function in there. I've got a sort double space function in there. Uh, I've got you know, of course, a bunch of Brett's um, uh, services yeah. that I can access through that. Uh, but also because it's it's super reliable. I mean, yeah, BB Edit. I, BB Edit has never crashed on me. I'm sure. Yeah, if I said BB Edit had crashed on me, I'm sure I was mistaken. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was your your brain might crash, but BB yeah, exactly. Edit I mean, it's crash. just uh, and it can open anything. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've opened you know hundred megabyte files, and it, it's you know it's just always going to open. Um, it also will sync a bunch of its stuff through Dropbox, so I, I've got you know sort of the same environment. For me, it's kind of like drafts you know, on iOS, yeah. you know, where it's the same environment every every time I'm going somewhere. Uh, you know, I know there are new. I never got into TextMate and uh, whatever else, uh, Sublime Text, and I, I'm sure they're great applications. But you know, BB Edit for me is uh, where I've been, and um, it, it's just really comfortable, and it, it does. Uh, Good job at, at the things that I usually end up wanting to do with text. Yeah, I, I know like people who write in HTML, it's like the best solution for them. Uh, I'm just curious for just general writing. I, I just find it's got too much going on for me. I want something a little simpler. But I know there's a lot of guys out there that do it. Yeah, if if I'm if I'm writing something, uh, I don't know if this is simpler, but if I'm writing an article uh, for two or something, I usually do that in uh, multi markdown composer uh, because it's got that you know side by side preview window, and then uh, usually if I'm going into the um, the CMS for uh, Tua, I'm I'm going to copy that out as uh, HTML. And I know that multi-markdown, I, I wish everyone would just switch to multi-markdown instead of markdown because every time I see markdown support, but I like footnotes and I like tables and uh, that's stuff that, that only multi-markdown does really well. But I don't want to have to rely on anybody else's translation of what markdown meant. So it, it does a really good job of that. But, uh, you know, for, for, for anything shorter than an article, I'm probably in, uh, in BB Edit. 
Well, it does make sense though if you're going to do multi markdown to do it in Fletcher Penny's app. You know, he's the guy yeah, behind yeah, exactly. multi markdown, so <laughs> it, you know it's going to be right. Yep. Um, so, what are some of your uh, when you you emailed me? We we're talking in prior to the show. You've got some real complex workflows here, like um, like you're talking about the uh, use of an article in a database or journal articles and how you're automating yep. that. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, and, and this is this is a huge one. This is one of the few places where my day job and my, my tech nerdiness get to overlap. You, you know what? Um, let me interrupt you there. But before we do that, sure. I think we should probably do uh, our sponsor. There you go. <laughs> just really, okay. I, I get excited about talking about automation. Can you tell? And then <laughs> I just completely lose track of time. And then I hear about it later. Um, but anyway, uh, so our, our sponsor, another sponsor we have today is Squarespace. And Squarespace is web design for the rest of us. It's what I do, Max Sparky. Come on. It's a place where you can make a website and you don't need a PhD in anything involving web programming. And that's why I really love it. It's a drag and drop organization. You can move components around the screen. If you want to change typography, you can go to a screen, you can change the font. It automatically does it throughout the screen. Um, and it's got all these great templates you can work from. They're all professionally designed, and they're always adding new ones. Once you get one of their templates, though, it's very customizable. You can do a lot with it to make it better you know, or make it different. Using a Squarespace site, you don't look like one of those other services where everybody recognizes where the website was built because it doesn't have the same stuff. Um, if you want to put commerce on your website, they've got you covered. In fact, they've got web commerce now in all of their plans, so you're going to be fine. Uh, if you want to put social hooks, you can put them right there. They've got everything made with nice little graphics, so you can send people to your whatever site, you know, um, you know, your pictures or your Twitter or whatever. You can just put it right there. Katie's on there at katiefloyd.me. I'm there at maxbarkey.com. Another thing I really like about Squarespace is the responsive design element because I've seen the statistics from MaxBarkey.com, and there is a huge percentage of my readers that don't read it on a computer, a traditional computer at least. They don't read it on a Mac or a PC. They're showing up on iPads and iPhones. And with Squarespace, it automatically detects that your web, that your reader is coming from a mobile device, and then it resorts itself out and it serves up a version of your website that looks nice to them on that platform. So that's something that, you know, when I was looking at doing before, when I was on a WordPress, I was going to have to pay somebody a lot of money to make that. But now it just comes built in with Squarespace. Uh, if you want to get a domain, you get a domain. You just buy a year, they give you a domain too. So you can do the whole setup right there. Now, if you go over to squarespace.com, you check it out. You don't have to put any money down. You don't even have to give them a credit card. You get a free trial for two weeks so you can see if it's what you like. If if you do like it, go ahead and then sign up. And then when they ask for the offer code, insert the code MPU3. That's Mac Power Users for the month of March. And that way they know you heard about it from us. We've had a lot of listeners that have set up their own Squarespace sites uh, from listening to us and going and checking it out. They all really love it. They're great looking sites. And this is the time for you to go set up your own site. Um, I, Katie, I don't know about you, but I, I just love the idea that I own my content and that maxbarky.com is mine. It's not Facebook's and it's not Google's. It's stuff that I've created. And if you're out there making great stuff for the internet, you should have your own website too. So go check it out, squarespace.com with the offer code MPU3. And thanks, Squarespace, for supporting the Mac Power users. So, oh, you, tell us if I can just jump on the end of that. Oh, sure. Um, I, I think. 
the nice thing about Squarespace is I think it kind of fits this automation part in that Squarespace is like the apple of of web hosting. They're going to give you what's arguably the the best um, situation for what you want to do. Uh, I, I use it for a couple of my sites. Uh, Rhymes with Diploma is there, and another site I just started called ReformingFaith.com is there. Um, and, and I wrote my first website. Uh, I, I wrote my own PHP and make this own like horrible content management system that worked off plain text files and the whole thing. I can do all that. And I decided at a certain point, I don't want to do that anymore. And I don't want to have to tinker with uh, WordPress plugins or any of this stuff. Uh, I love Tumblr, but there's no business model there. And uh, Squarespace to me is uh, when you decide you no no longer want to tinker around under the hood, but you want to get stuff written and published and just out there. I I think that's... uh, that, that's the place to go. So, and anyway, and, un- and unpaid. At, yeah, no, I appreciate that. But I mean, and looking at your website at rhymeswithdiploma.com versus maxparky.com, they don't look at all familiar. I mean, they're completely different websites. That's what I like about it. Anyway, Katie, what were yeah. you going to say? Well, I was going to ask uh, TJ Tess a little bit about his day job. Because that's very interesting. And I know you're doing some complex automation. One of the things you emailed us about um, is prepping for sermons and things like that. So, So how does a pastor use a Mac in a state job? Well, well, first of all, there are a couple of great uh, Bible study programs out there. Actually, uh, for years and years, one of the best uh, ones out there that some people bought Max just to use this application. Uh, it's called Accordance. Uh, AccordanceBible.com, I think, is the uh, website. And it, it's got, you know, not only books, it's got, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of, you know, references. And, and you've basically get your own database of all this stuff. I've got, you know, bookshelves here stuffed with books that I don't often pull out as often as I'd like to because, you know, which book is going to have the thing that I need? Whereas, of course, on the computer, it's all cross-referenced and indexed and uh, I can find things very easily. Uh, There are helps for people, even like myself, who are not good uh, Greek or Hebrew students. They're uh, great language, uh, original language materials in there and dictionaries and cross-references for that as well. So th- there are some uh, – uh, Logos is uh, the other uh, one that's – they're both great programs uh, for the uh, – uh, and now they're both available f- – Logos used to only be Windows, and they came over to Mac a couple years ago. And Accordance has always been Mac only. And I think uh, sometime in 2014, they're getting ready to release their first Windows version. So uh, it's kind of cool. that. But uh, th- those are two great programs out there. Uh, one of the things that I find is that uh, there's a site out there called Atlas uh, Serials. And this is a, a database of journal articles. And most people who've gone to uh, uh, any seminary in the United States, at least, uh, I suspect probably around the world, uh, you can probably get access to this database through your alma mater. And say so you go in and you, you, know, you log in. It's kind of a pain to get in there. But once you're in there, I can find – I can search on all these different topics. There's a, uh, a set of – uh, suggested readings for each week. Uh, the lectionary, you may have heard of it. If, uh, uh, but it's a it, it's a weekly guide to sort of you know 
Like if every church that works on the lectionary is, is going to preach out of, you know, Matthew chapter 12 on this particular Sunday. And there's a site, a great site out there called textweek.com that's designed around the same thing. Well, it links good articles that they found on particular topics or on particular weeks to this Atlas Serials database. Well, you got, I'm sure, I'm sure as lawyers, I'm guessing your online databases are wonderful and very user-friendly and a joy to work with. Uh, Atlas Serials is not. Um, It's kind of clunky and you can read articles in PDF form, but then if you want to save them, and again with sandboxing, you end up saving it to some temporary file and then you have to move it over here and again, all this stuff. Well, I found out that it was much easier to, if I emailed myself the PDF, I could get the PDF, I could get all the citation information, and uh, it saved me a couple of steps of having to manually download this uh, PDF. But it was kind of annoying because I had to repeat these steps over and over. There was an email link I had to cl- click on, and then I had to put in my email address. You'd think the 5,200 times that I'd type my email address, it might remember it. No, no, no. I have to type it in every time. Uh, and I, it it will send every email with the same, you know, a document from uh, Atlas or whatever like that. So that's not useful. I wanted to get the title of the article, which happens to be the title of the web page, which happens to be a variable that Keyboard Maestro can get you with one click of the dropdown of where do you want to get this information from. So I wrote a macro and the macro does click link here this is a new uh, feature in keyboard maestro 6 i think if you use either safari or google chrome it can click links for you so i told it click the link and then go over here and type in my email address press tab get the uh, title of the document which again in keyboard maestro is just a drop down paste that into the next field Hit tab, which gets me into the send button, you know, hit enter to send, wait five seconds, press enter. Okay, because then there's another dialog box that pops up and uh, says, you know, your document has been sent. Again, none of these are complicated steps, but I do this for probably 20 to 30 articles every single week. And that time adds up. Yeah. Uh, well, what I end up the, the next part of it. Do you want to ask questions well, here? Or? Well, just one of the points you made there that if someone is out there listening and thinking about trying to script like web type stuff is the wait five seconds button. And if you yeah. if you don't know <laughs> when you when you run into these problems, a lot of times the computer is too fast. You know, yes. It, as a human, it's going to take you a few seconds to get your mouse to the right place and click the button. Where uh, if you automate it, the computer is going to do it immediately. So putting if you if you start writing a script that involves the internet uh, and you <laughs> run into any problem, that wait yep. five seconds or something like that is going to quite often be the solution to why it's not working. Yeah, and Keyboard Maestro is a really smart one. It, it has a wait until. Uh, so, for example, when I uh, hit that send button, uh, what I'm actually doing, I think, if I was, if I'm pulling this from memory, but I think what it's actually doing is, is it says it enters a loop and says wait until there's a button that says continue, and then push the button continue. And the way it's uh, and in the way it's doing that is 
uh, it's not doing it the real old fashioned script way where you would right. manually place the m- mouse pointer over the target area where the OK button is and press the button. I mean, they, there's ways you can do that, but it, it's just so clunky. A keyboard right. maestro is able to detect the existence of an OK button and push it without depending on getting the mouse on the exact right coordinates because you never know that that box is going to show up in the same place next time. Exactly, exactly. And I actually, before this new version came out, I had done that clicking the email thing. I had actually was like, you know, okay, go over this many pixels from the top right corner and down this many. And But it was, you know, it worked pretty well, but it was, you know, if I if I came at a page a different way, it was a little lower and things like that. So it's getting leaps and bounds. This is another developer who, you know, this is his main application. And, you know, he's always improving this so much. It's uh, I can't imagine what the next version is going to have. Am I, is his first name Keith? I want to say it's Keith. I've emailed with him a few times. Uh, no, this is Peter. I think Peter. Peter that's right. Yes, L- Peter and Lewis. Yeah, I've got a, I've got him in my uh, contacts because I, I'm, I'm like, can I do this already? If so, how? If not, feature requests. Yeah, and then uh, and then it shows up in the next version. That's the thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, he's really responsive. But uh, uh, the. The, we talked a bit about Apple scripting. Uh, I used to. I've got you know Mac that's always hooked up to the internet, and so I kept MATLAB running all the time, right, to run rules on messages that came in. Yep. No more. Well, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't think anyone should ever do that anymore. Liberate yourselves, friends, uh, and use something else called sendtodropbox.com. And what this will do, it will give you an email address, and you can send an uh, email to this. You can send an attachment, or you can just send a plain uh, text or HTML. It will get the message. It will, uh, if there's an attachment, it will save the attachment to your Dropbox. If there's not, if there's just a plain text or HTML message, it will save that to your Dropbox. You can control. You know, you can make a bunch of different email addresses and control like. Uh, Okay, we'll put this in a folder that starts with the email address, you know, uh, like tj at senderdropbox.com. And then uh, I've got Hazel rules that, you know, we'll work on that folder. But then over here, I'm going to have database things. You can do so many more things with Hazel and Keyboard Maestro so much easier than trying to do mail rules. I, again, I think it was sandboxing, but mail rules all of a sudden became really unusable. And the great thing about this is your Mac doesn't have to be on. Um, well, if mail app quits or something. Yeah, I, a couple points. I want to catch up with you here because you're going fast. <laughs> uh, the Sorry. S- send a Dropbox. Uh, one of the points you made is it'll save an attachment, but it'll also save the message. And it'll save the message as a PDF, which is pretty cool. You know, for that problem that you have when you're away and you want to save an email message as a PDF. Um, so I, I think that's I'm correct in that, right? I mean, I've I've worked with it in the past where I was able to get a PDF out of it. If um, well, I hope I'm not wrong but, with that, but it, well, if if you send it a PDF, it will save it as a PDF. If there's a way to do it otherwise, like I mean, there may be a way to automate it into a PDF, but I'm not. It's just the body of the email? I don't yes, know. I believe it does. Anyway. Well, I, I haven't I haven't wanted to do that, so it may be perfectly possible, but I, I haven't wanted to do it, so I don't know it. The, but the, but uh, going back to the, uh, the critique of mail and rules, I haven't had that much problem. My rules transitioned okay into Mavericks, 
have you been having any trouble with your mail rules, Katie? Or do, no. you, do you use many mail rules? I don't know. I use a ton think- of mail rules on my Mac Mini. I keep it keep it going. Now, well, see, the other problem I was having was my um, mail kept saying that my server was offline. This was, I was using was using Gmail. And it would say, you know, my the server was offline, and then it would never try to get itself back online. And but I had a bunch of problems with it. But again, I was also trying to do Apple Script, which wasn't my uh, strength anyway. So this to me was just a much easier um, solution because you can just and you know tell Hazel to look at a folder instead of trying to you know if you get it in mail, you've got to do the part that Send a Dropbox is going to do for you, which is you know parse out the. Um, you know, the other text of the body or the attachment to whatever, uh, it's a great service. And I think, I mean, you can sign up for a paid account, but I think I'm pretty sure there's a free, you know, up to, you know, a certain amount of usage per month or something. And uh, it's a great service. If you tried it a while ago and it wasn't reliable for you, it's time to try again. Uh, the guy who runs it has did a big upgrade about four or five months ago. And, and it's been, I, I mean, I, I can, email myself this document and then I see the little Dropbox icon, you know, doing its thing. And then it says, you know, a new file has been added to your Dropbox and it's that quick. Yeah. That's also a feature of SaneBox for attachments, which is, Oh, I love me some SaneBox. Yeah. That, that's another way to do it. It's, it's interesting because everybody's identifying these problems and trying to come up with different solutions. Uh, then I always get email in whenever we talk about this saying, are you crazy? You shouldn't be sending your email off to some stranger that's got some web service. And, you know, I guess that's a, that's a, that just has to go into the equation. Depends on what kind of email. If you've got the seven secret herbs and spices of the Colonel's chicken, <laughs> maybe you don't do it through there. Yeah, theological journal articles. I don't. I don't worry about someone else having those. Well, I want to take one more break for our last sponsor, and then when we come back, we have so much stuff that we haven't covered with you yet. Uh, Just give me a grab bag of other cool stuff that you're doing with automation, apps that you're using for your Mac. Um, So start thinking about that. Okay. Sure. Um, so our last sponsor for this episode is our good friends over at 1Password. And we all know 1Password as the great password management app that allows you to create unique secure passwords for all your different websites um, so that you don't ever have to have that problem of repeating the same password over and over and over again on different websites just so you that you can remember it. Um, all instead, you put all of your new passwords in one password. One password will auto-generate these great passwords for you. And all you have to remember is your one password to get your keys and it will automatically fill all these great passwords in. And I want to talk about a couple of the other features of one password though. There are maybe a few of the little lesser known features of 1Password or maybe some of the unadvertised features of 1Password. And I want to talk about my wallet, David. So I had a little scare the other day. Um, I had come home from being out and I was, I'd ordered something. I don't remember what. Oh, I think I needed to renew something. So I had to grab my wallet and it was, it was sitting on my, I'd left it sitting on my desk and I ran out to go meet some friends for dinner and when I got to the restaurant, it was quite embarrassing. I did not have my wallet. And I was just kind of terrified. I'm backtracking and thinking, when was the last time I had my wallet? When was the last time I could find it? Uh, you know, I just spent the whole rest of the night thinking, oh my gosh, I've, I've lost my wallet. Who's using my credit card right now? What am I going to have to cancel? And all of those other things that go through your head. Thankfully, I found my wallet. But it got me thinking a little bit about 
what is in my wallet? And if I had really lost my wallet, what would I need to do? And how would I replace that stuff? And really, does all the stuff that's in my wallet need to be in my wallet? And so I had done this a couple of, maybe a year or so ago, but it had been a while. And so I took every single thing that I had out of my wallet. I ran it through my ScanSnap scanner and created an image of it front and back. And I went into one password and I made a new folder, which you can do within one password. And I called it wallet and copies of my health insurance card, copies of my car insurance card, copies of my voter registration, all my credit cards front and back, all of those things. And some of those things were already in one password, um, either got inputted or updated in one password. And one password has this feature that, you know, for example, let's say a credit card, you can say, okay, well, this is my Chase Visa card. And here's the number and here's the contact information for how you reach their customer service. And here's the credit limit. And here's all that. But you can also attach a document to anything in one password. And if you attach an image or a PDF, you can pull that up not only on your Mac, but also on your iPhone or any of those other devices that 1Password syncs with. So inside my wallet folder in 1Password, I made sure that I had copies of every single thing that I usually carry in my wallet front and back. So in the event that I ever lost my wallet again or I couldn't find it, I would know exactly what was in my wallet who I needed to call, what I needed to cancel, and what information was in there. And I also used it as an opportunity to thin out my wallet because, you know, maybe I don't need to keep my voter registration card in my wallet. And maybe I don't need to keep some of those other things. I mean, do they really ever ask you for it? No, they don't. They just ask you for your driver's license. Um, so I thought that was a great use of 1Password that's, you know, really not an advertised use, but I certainly feel a lot better knowing that all that stuff is secure in there. It's locked up behind my master password. Nobody's going to be able to get it. But if I have a situation where I need access to some of that stuff, it's always going to be at my fingertips. Clever. Yeah. Now, I just want to, I want to ask a question because if, if this is right, this is a new thing that I didn't know about. You can find your. You can get those attachments on iOS now. Welcome because that didn't used to be. Welcome to One Password for iOS version four. <sighs> How have I missed that? That's awesome. Yeah, I was in the betas, and when that showed up in the beta version, I emailed Dave, and I just said, "Oh my gosh, you've added this." Yeah, we're so, yeah, well, that's that's killer. Can I just take a moment to say that we are all super geeks that we're excited <laughs> about this. Yeah. Okay. It's a very cool thing. Anyway, um, you can go pick up a copy of 1Password. It's available over on the Mac App Store, and that'll get you a license for all of your Macs that are associated with your Mac App Store account. You can also download an individual uh, application license there for $49.99. You can get a family license for $69.99. If you use Windows, there's a version for there, too. Or you can get a switcher bundle. If you use Macs on home and Windows at the office, uh, you can get uh, one of each for $69.99. So there are all kinds of options. While you're there, take out, uh, check out Joe Kissel's Take Control of 1Password ebook that they're selling in the 1Password store. And uh, thanks to our friends at uh, 1Password for their kind support of Mac Power users. Yeah, I did that with my wallet before 2K80, when they, especially when they came with a new version, like rewards cards, all that stuff. Now I carry a driver's license and a single credit card. That's it. So, are you ready to give us our massive super grab bag of goodness? <laughs> wow, I, that hurt. That hurt. What? Okay, yes, David. I'm hurting now. Thank you for your contribution. That was very helpful. That didn't help. <laughs> <laughs> All right, TJ, let's look, give us the goods. All right. I, I'm just kind of looking at, at some of these things here and, and trying to, you know, 
some of these things you write once and you never use again. But uh, yeah, I've got one where if, if I'm in the Finder and I press uh, Control B, it's going to open whatever selected file I have in BB Edit. Except unless it's a video file, in which case, and it's going to tell that by the extension. If it's a video file, it's going to open it in Beamer, and it's going to mm. send it to the Apple TV. Okay. Okay? Because I'm never going to want to open a video file in BB Edit. I mean, I could, but I'm not going to want to. The results would uh, be hilarious. Exactly. Uh, here's, um, again, really simple one. And you do that if with I, Keyboard Maestro? Uh, yes, Keyboard Maestro. Okay. Uh, and there, it's just an if, you know, uh, if the Finder selection has this extension, uh, do this. And it, it, it does, you know, throw to a, a shell script, but uh, it's a very simple thing. And then it just does, you know, open-a BB edit or open-a Beamer. Uh, Beamer is a great app. If, if you have an Apple TV, buy Beamer. I, I would uh, think that you wouldn't need any shell scripts to pull that off. I mean, doesn't... No, you probably don't, but I, you know, it's sort of... I, that's my hammer. So yeah. every, you know, <laughs> every problem I have can be solved by a, a shell script. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sure there's probably another way to do this. Uh, I found out that uh, getting to a, a particular folder was something I wanted to do a lot and found myself mousing around a lot, and I hate mousing around. Uh, so I, I made keyboard shortcuts. In, uh, again, in Keyboard Maestro, you can uh, make a group, and this group will only be uh, – you can tell it to be in all applications or just some applications. You can exclude it from you know all applications except – but I made a, a Finder folder and uh, just did things like if I press uh, Alt-W, uh, that opens my Downloads folder. Uh, and I don't know why Alt-W, but that's what stuck into my head. If I want to open my uh, desktop, I could do uh, Control-D, which I always used to do. And then I found out that I was duplicating whatever I had selected. Oops. And so I, I – I, you know, which can be a problem when you're, you know, you've selected on your, your home folder and now you're duplicating it. Okay, so let me just interrupt a minute because that one has got me to, and I don't know what they were thinking because in the file open and save dialog box, command yes. D, command D always gets you to the desktop. So if you've yeah. got something you're working on, this is a good tip. If you're working on something, you just want to save it quick to the desktop, open the save dialog box, hit command D, and you're immediately at the desktop and hit save. You don't have to mouse around because that makes TJ mad. Um, right. But <laughs> yes, but yeah, if exactly. you're in the finder, if you're in the finder yes. and you have something and you'd think that when you're in the finder, that hitting command D would jump you to the desktop, uh, you would display to, but instead, no matter what you've got currently selected, it it's, it's a duplicate command. <laughs> and yeah. I understand that because command D is duplicate in a right. lot of contexts, but in my brain, that doesn't always work. And probably once every six months, I say, well, why do I have two copies of that big <laughs> folder? And then I realize, yep. oh, there's two copies of Dropbox. How did that happen? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, and I mean, it's just simple things like I very often find that I want to open um, my downloads folder uh, and the, uh, I'm sorry, my desktop folder and my Dropbox folder because I want to, you know, drag some files from my desktop into Dropbox. Uh, so what I, now there's a context menu you can do, you know, just uh, control click on the file and there's now a thing where you could just do send to Dropbox and that'll move it to your, your top level. But we're not animals, we're human beings. And so what I did is I made a macro 
that will open to, because of course I've got my massive wide monitor. It opens a finder window showing me my desktop folder and then using a keyboard command with, um, what was that? A spectacle, which is a free application. It moves that window to just be the left half of the screen. And then it opens another folder, pushes that to the right half of the screen and sets that to be my uh, Dropbox folder. Now I can very easily drag things back and forth between uh, those two folders. Um, Not rocket surgery, but it's something I do a lot. And so this is an an easier way for for me to do it. And Uh, and the the question is just identifying those situations where you are running into doing the same thing over and over again. It starts to feel tedious. Right. And and then you have the knowledge of using the tools. I don't want people listening to it to think that you need to shell script all this stuff because most of this stuff is absolutely doable with no knowledge of shell script or Apple script or any of that other stuff. No, I mean, 90% of this easily, probably 95 or higher, is I'm telling Keyboard Maestro to select menus uh, from the menu, you know, from the max menu or keyboard shortcuts. Now, when I'm making a macro in Keyboard Maestro, if there's a menu item for it, I usually prefer that. Um, but it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. The only reason I really prefer it is when I'm looking at the macro later on, it's easier to tell what it does if I can see what those menu items are. Um, but no, that, like that whole thing I was just talking about with opening the windows, all of that is just, um, you know, you know, click, click, click here, uh, you know, and keyboard maestro, you can start out with, you tell it what action you want. If you want it to be a, a keyboard, uh, command, uh, and this is the other great thing with keyboard maestro. You don't have to use the command key. Like I was saying a minute ago, I could just do Alt-W. Uh, I didn't have to be Control-Alt-W or Command-Alt-W. But yeah, no, you don't need, to, you don't need scripting for this uh, at all. Uh, and <laughs> here's one I use more than I wish I did, or more than I wish I had to. You ever been on a website and you're trying to read the article and stuff's jump, jumping all over you and everything? You know, every time you scroll down, there's something that jumps down next to you? Yeah, I hate that. Again, I have a lot of pet peeves. Um, command J now in Safari will toggle the JavaScript setting. Ah. There's a menu item for JavaScript. And then, uh, actually what it, when I press command J, uh, keyboard maestro goes to the develop menu, which you can enable in Safari settings. It goes to develop and it selects disable JavaScript. And then it goes to, uh, what is it? Uh, view reload page. So all I have to do is hit command J JavaScript goes off and the page reloads, which will let me just read what I want to without stuff jumping all over the place. Okay. Let the, let the record reflect that TJ waited one hour and 40 minutes before giving us that one. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm I'm adding that as soon as we get off the microphone right here, that is a great idea. So simple Um, too, just a command. Yeah, and and again, when I do it again, it does the same two commands back, so it will re-enable JavaScript and reload the page, because what will inevitably happen is that you find, um, you know, you'll get to some page which, you know, doesn't work at all without JavaScript on. Um, Oh, do you guys know Fluid? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, For those who don't know, Fluid lets you create your own very basic web browser for specific uh, things. Like I've got one 
Uh, and this is this is the first article I ever wrote for Tua almost five years ago, um, using uh, Choosy, which uh, is another great uh, automation thing. It will let you if I click on a if I click on a link that has Google.com anywhere in it, that's going to open in Chrome. Even though I use Safari for my regular browser. Does, but if I, does Choosy still available? I thought that yeah okay no it's so it, it hasn't been updated for a while but it still works okay. and and I'm uh, I actually follow the developer on uh, on Twitter and if he ever um, goes away I'm, I'm going to be very very sad but no it, it still works um, but he here's what I did I, I made a <laughs> I made a browser in, in Fluid uh, and you can set up a whole bunch of things this browser does not have JavaScript enabled at all. And this browser pretends that it is an iPhone. And I call this Twitter. <laughs> Whenever I click a link from TweetBot, it will open in this browser. And it gives me uh, the iPhone version of whatever page that this person was trying to send me to, which is usually like an article or something that I might want to read. But by pretending to be an iPhone, I'm getting usually a... Uh, simplified version of the site without all the bells and hoo-ha whistles. Uh, and uh, and it also, uh, you can, if you pay five bucks for Fluid, you can have it separate, uh, use separate cookies. So any of this stuff that if I click on something and it sends me somewhere that I didn't want to go, I'm not logged into uh, Google. I'm not logged into Twitter. I'm not logged into anything. Uh, so it can't do anything nefarious there. That's probably my geekiest one. <laughs> the, the funny thing is Fluid, when it first kind of showed up on the scene, it was the app everybody would use to to run their Gmail and basically mm -hmm. the Google stuff. Because, you know, Gmail is so unique, you think of it as an application, even though it really is ideally a, a browser, you know, doodad. Yep. <laughs> and so people would want to get fluid and then they it would be in the dock and it would have a separate icon and in fact i think that there was a point where there's all these web articles written about here's your fluid you know gmail icon so you can actually give it an icon and kind of brand it as an app and but google over the last few years has made it so when you run gmail you really want to do it in chrome because it's just so optimized for their own browser in fact i think fluid may predate chrome if memory serves i, um, I think but, it might yeah yeah, so so I, that's why I kind of thought Fluid dropped off the map because the big use for it was was Gmail and the Google apps, and now everybody like you is running that stuff in Chrome. But yeah, yeah that's a that's a good use of it, and you're doing yeah. all that off Keyboard Maestro. So it sounds like Keyboard Maestro has really turned into your uh, your primary automation tool. It really is. I mean, I, and I I'm really amazed at all the stuff that uh, can be done in it. And I know that I'm only scraping the, the surface and uh, I was emailing Peter one day and, and he said, he's still amazed at, you know, people will email him and tell him what they're doing with his app. And he's like, Oh, I didn't really realize you could do that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, if you create enough triggers and enough things uh, that yeah, you can exactly. activate, then it's just a question of your own creativity is how you're going to glue it all together. Yeah, I, I wrote a, a keyboard maestro macro that backs up my keyboard maestro macros. Can, can you just sync those now? Me. I just sync mine through Dropbox. 
Yes, yes. This this was actually uh, b- before that, and I, I told I told Peter that, and he said that's either brilliant or completely. I think he said daft or some, you know. Other, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not sure which either, but uh, but yeah. Now that that sinks through Dropbox, man, I wish everything could just sink. I, I th- this is the problem of being somebody who tinkers and customizes. Is when I go from one Mac to the other, I really want all those things in all the places. And that's one of the reasons I've gone to Keyboard Maestro is that if you go in and set your <laughs> – the only keyboard shortcut that I have defined in system preferences is uh, Command-P as saved a PDF. <laughs> but for anything else, I have them in Keyboard Maestro because they sync across all my Macs. Yeah, well, makes sense. TJ, I think we're going to have to have you back on again. Because I feel like yes. we've only scratched the surface. That was my whole goal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it you know, th- there's just tons of this stuff that that you can do, and uh, you know, the um, th- it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's cool when I plug my USB microphone into my Mac that Skype launches. Yeah. I mean, again, that's a really simple keyboard maestro trigger from a USB device. I think Katie, you wrote up that up on, on your site but it's just fun you know that when i do you know, a little bit it's not you know we're not living in the jetsons you know but it's it's cool when that stuff works like that uh, yeah. well it makes you think that your computer is working with you instead of against you and that's yes. nice and yes. and the stuff you do over and over again you need to you need to start thinking about this automation stuff because uh, the idea is to get your work done and be able to go you know watch a ball game or something Oh, and I just I don't want to leave without having mentioned this one app that that uh, I use a lot, but it, it kind of works behind the scenes. So I don't always remember that I'm using it until I use a Mac that is not installed on. And that's default folder X. And the great thing about default folder X is that anytime I go to save a document in uh, BB edit, it's going to automatically change that save directory to the place, the folder where I keep my text files. Anytime I save a pages document, it knows the folder that I want to use for that. And that ends up being a really powerful thing. Uh, you know, that there are lots of apps. Um, one of the things that people should back up, but don't often, I think is their calendars. Um, now I think if you use BBCal, I think it, it will, um, Automatic, yeah, busy automate. Ca- busy cal automatically. Busy cal, I'm sorry. Yeah, it automatically uh, will we'll automate that. But if you export that stuff, and I've got a, f- a folder in my Dropbox called backups, and I've got you know iCal set to export there, so I know all my backups are there. And default folder X is kind of an unsung hero of uh, of that sort of you know again just removing a little bit of of uh, friction. Yeah, default folder X is something I run all the time, and uh, we've talked about it in the past in the show. But it really upgrades your saved dialog box, and and now that Mavericks is out, they've got the ability to tag right in your save file. I mean, they they've got the same stuff Apple does, but even more. And you can have a list of favorites, which is really nice. Yes. Well, I I think Katie's right. We'll, we'll have you back and talk some more automation. I think cool. someday I want to have a show. Um, with a minister, a rabbi, and a monk, and you know, <laughs> and I, you know, I have these, you know, the idea, the title showed, you know, minister, a rabbi, and a monk walk into an apple bar, right? 
Genius sure. Bar, right? Genius Bar. There you go. <laughs> we have we actually have a lot of people uh, in your line of work that write us because uh, you know you're managing, uh, dealing with a lot of people, a lot of email, and all the problems they have, and a lot of organization. I mean, there's a lot uh, there's a lot of room to be a geek in your gig. So. Uh, we know we have a lot of listeners out there that are, are doing those kinds of things. So maybe one day we'll do a show on that too. But uh, thanks again. Awesome. Uh, where can people find you, TJ? <laughs> I'm all over the place. Uh, th- the best place to find me is probably uh, rhymeswithdiploma.com. Uh, that's uh, usually got pointers to um, whatever I'm, I'm working on. I'm also uh, at TJ Luoma, L U O, pause. M-A. People hear Lou and they want to do L-O-U. So I always want to pause after the O. Um, And I I, I post some nerdy stuff and then I post some personal stuff and then it's a a mishmash. So I'm I'm kind of a weird follow. But um, I... It's a great way to communicate if uh, uh, people want to get in touch about stuff. Uh, I do go to the Ask Different site and uh, look for stuff there. So if you've got uh, interesting questions... Um, I do want to. I do want to plug one thing. Uh, we have a friend of mine convinced me to, to start a podcast about religion and politics uh, because wow. nobody else would. <laughs> what you, what's, what's the name? The Third Wire? <laughs> uh, no, impolite company. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, we're we're uh, over on Mule, and uh, we have a lot of fun there. And uh, she she is a cheesemonger and a, uh, a skeptic. And I obviously am a Presbyterian minister, and uh, we have some great conversations, and uh, we have a lot of fun. So uh, I, I, I hope that people will uh, give that a try, especially if they uh, dislike the way that religion is usually talked about online. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that as my uh, hook. All right. Um, and Katie, where can you find show notes from today's show? Well, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode on our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU slash 181 for this episode. Yeah, we do get uh, messages from listeners sometimes saying, well, where, did you guys ever do a show on whatever? And <laughs> uh, we spent some money. We got the, the website looking good. You can go in there and search it and find out what you need. So if you go to MacPowerUsers.com, you'll be able to do some searching and, and find whatever it is you're looking for. You can reach us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com via email. You can also reach us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I'm at Mac Sparky. Thanks for listening, folks, and we will see you all next time. Bye.